Here we go. Already Good morning. Kate. I'm Kate. I'm an alcoholic and grateful for other programs as well. Welcome if you're joining us. The principle of step one is self-honesty or honesty. And we're going to start on page 28 of the doctor's opinion. As Elizabeth said, we're going to be bouncing around the big book a lot. And we're going to start with the paragraph we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. And yeah, let me see. The phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. This is the first time when I read this with my first sponsor, um, when I was counting days, um, that the idea was introduced to me that the way that I react to alcohol sets me apart as a distinct entity and that there are two different classes of people with regard to drinking. It had never occurred to me that I was in a class of people that was having a different physical experience than people who I saw drinking. This was a completely new idea to me and that it was coming from a doctor who treated tens of thousands of alcoholics and that what he saw in treatment was there's people who respond to it this way and there's people who respond to it this way. Now we're gonna flip over to page 23 in the big book in the chapter, There is a Solution. The writers of the big book have just explained to us that once I take any alcohol into my system, something happens both in the bodily and the mental sense that makes it impossible for me to stop. I cannot stop and that my experience drinking will confirm this. The writers of the big book say, this fact would be academic and pointless if I could manage to never take the first drink, thereby setting the cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in my mind rather than in my body. So this tells me that if all I had was be, the fact of being a separate class of people, a separate class of drinker, that as long as I never took that first drink, I would never have the problems that come with being a member of a separate physical class of drinkers. But this is telling me that the disease that I have isn't just that my body reacts differently to alcohol. It's there is something in my mind that tells me over and over and over again that I can be like that other class of people. I can drink alcohol and have a different experience. Now we're gonna go over to page 30, the beginning of more about alcoholism. We, had, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people are presently, maybe, has to be smashed. So by this point, we are in the fourth of five chapters on step one in our book, and we're going to continue to talk about it. But as I shared, my experience was it never occurred to me 
that if I had ever experienced the craving or the allergy, which Elizabeth is going to talk about, I was part of a distinct entity of person that was completely different from the experience other people was having, were having. It also had never occurred to me that there was something in my mind that was telling me I could drink and have a new experience. Over to you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Kate. Good job. All right, now we're gonna look, um, I'm gonna bring us back to the doctor's opinion, page 30. The bottom of the page, it talks about all these and many others have one symptom in common. The first step is that we admit we're powerless. Excuse me, uh, what yes. edition are we in? Fourth edition? Fourth edition. Fourth edition. edition. You said page 30? I believe it is, right, Kate? Because, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the Roman Doctor's numerals. opinion, Roman numerals. Thank you, because I wasn't seeing what you guys were seeing. You found it. XXX. Thank you. XXX. Triple X. We won't go there in this meeting. Okay, so here we are. All of these and many others have one symptom in common. So we're powerless over. The first step is we're powerless over. And because this workshop is open, there may be people here that are not in AA, they're in another fellowship, or you may be in AA and you have other things. So we're powerless over alcohol, can replace it with thinking, can replace it with controlling, you can replace it with cigarettes, food, whatever it is. All the, whatever it is for you today, Right, because 20 years ago, it might have been, I know for me, 20 plus years ago, it was alcohol. February of this year, it was food. So we're powerless over. We have one symptom in common. So regardless of what we're powerless over, we still have one symptom in common, which brings us together the we as a distinct entity, like Kate was talking about. And I'm a big looker upper, ask yourself, turn the, the statements in the book into questions so that I can see if this is true for me, because it doesn't do anything if it's true for you, for me. I have to ask myself these hard questions. So we all have one symptom in common. And for me, that kind of simplifies it. It just keeps it simple. It's distinct. And distinct means definite, noticeable, specific, and unmistakable. Am I convinced that I'm different than, let's say, a normal drinker, a normal eater, whatever the normal is? My mom clearly can, she got drunk once with me. And she was like, I'm never doing that again. I don't understand that, but that's not my experience. But with you guys, 
it's noticeable to me that we have a specific commonality. We have a specific, it's unmistakable. When I talk to another compulsive eater, it's like, boom, I get you. When I talk to another alcoholic, it's like, I get you. That I get you is the identification, which is crucial in the first step. Why is it crucial? Well, because steps one, two, and 12 are different, which I'm sure we all, you know, we know. I don't know where you are in your journey, but one, two, and 12, we have to, I have to have that identification or I can't transmit, I can't transmit that connection. So that's crucial. And this paragraph here lets me know that we cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. I looked the word up. Well, I'll get there in a second. The phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as the distinct entity, right? We're specific. We're noticeably different. It's unmistakable that we are a group of people in recovery. It has been by... um, It has been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. So it's, it doesn't get, doesn't go away. The only relief that we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Well, how? So allergy could mean I put the alcohol in my body and I, it sets off that phenomenon of craving, which makes me want another drink. But then when you have a something like um, controlling, well, that's not, I'm not putting anything into my body, right? Um, that is completely the mind. It's that obsession. And I'm going to flip to the page right before this, XXVII, if my page is the same as yours, Kate, is that right? Okay. Um It says top of the page, third line down, after they succumb to the desire again, Bill refers to desire as obsession. So after the thinking in my mind starts, first thought, I grab onto that thought and I don't practice one of the other principles that we're going to learn about in this workshop, I'm into the next thought. And then the thought becomes a story. And then I'm in the obsession and it's going and it's going and it's going. And I succumb to it again. as so many do. And how many times have we done this? How many times have I done this? Phenomenon of craving develops. I pass through the well-known stages of a spree, the spree, the thinking spree, right? The thinking spree, the thinking spree, the thinking spree that then leads to the behavior, the action. And then there I am again saying, how, how did I do this? I passed through the well-known stages of the spree, emerging, you know, how how we all emerge after we've kind of screwed everything up, remorseful with a firm resolution not to whatever again, right? This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. And I looked up psychic. Psychic is we're sensitive to influences or forces of a non-physical or supernatural nature. So I have to be sensitive. We are sensitive. We learned that in the book. But I need to be sensitive to the right kind of influences. What kind of influences am I sensitive to? Is it is it this? Is it I have a thought and I believe it? 
or is it something else? And we'll explore more of that as we move forward in this workshop. Now, I'm gonna pass it over to Kate and we're gonna look at the examples that the big book gives us. We're gonna to turn to, I think we'll do Jim first. Jim's story on page 36, 35 to 37. So in More About Alcoholism, which a friend of ours refers to this paragraph as anatomy of a relapse, the big book authors are trying to help us figure out for ourselves if we can make this step one decision. And they give us a couple of different options. Try to start drinking and stop abruptly and good luck. Step over to the nearest bar room. See if you can stop the behavior for a year. Many of you will probably be unable to do that, they say. But then we really feel like we can be of most service to you, they write, if we can describe what it's like in this cycle in motion, I can, until I really, really can see in my own life that I live that way with thought to thought to thought, and all of a sudden I'm in a spree and the train has left the station and, and I'm barely hanging on. I went for years living like that, not knowing that that was alcoholism, that the way that I thought on a moment to moment daily basis, and that's been true in sobriety. And so what we have, what we have with Jim is he's lost a business he owned and now he's just merely working there, shows up to work on a Tuesday, he's pissed off, he's resentful, which means he's blocked. So in the language of the big book, he's disturbed. Few words with the boss, he decides he's going to drive into the country, no intention, no thought of drinking, no, 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 I'm sober now. And here's the thing about Jim. He had made a beginning, it says at the bottom of page 35, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. But Jim has no intention of think drinking. So in Jim's mind, Jim is safe. Jim can follow his own direction and do what he wants because Jim understands himself to be an alcoholic. He vaguely senses it's not too smart to pull over and order a sandwich at a place where he used to drink. But he had much knowledge about himself. He knows he's alcoholic. So Jim is fine. And then, and then the book again talks about this idea of the curious mental phenomenon or the blank spot. And then the word insane or insanity appears on pages 36 and 37 five different times. Because Jim thought that knowing he was alcoholic could keep Jim from engaging in behavior that got him drunk. Jim thought he could use his mind to manage his mind. And so the message that I get from Jim's story today is with a sober mind, knowing that I'm alcoholic, my reasoning cannot hold me in check in areas of my life where I am still using my mind to manage my life. He knew he was alcoholic, but his self-knowledge did not protect him. And being in a workshop, being in a meeting, learning about the steps is not the same as practicing the principles on the, of the steps on a daily basis. And that's why we're here today. Elizabeth, over to you. Thank you, Kate. Yeah, that's a great point. Self-knowledge, even a workshop, right? I can go and I can gather more information. And we do this. We study this book together and we hear each other's perspectives and how our 
these these words come to life or have come to life in our own experience. And so we're not transmitting the words. We're transmitting the experience to one another. And this is why I continue to sit in meetings and listen and am awakened again and again, no matter where I go, because I'm different than I was before I got to the meeting. I'm different a minute before I'm listening. And so to live in an awakened state where I am receptive to receive this material in a way that wakes me up, that is the requirement, if you will, for me to stay away from the substances one moment at a time. Kay pointed out in Jim's story, um, self-knowledge doesn't doesn't do it. What what am I? And and that's why for me, when as somebody re- recommended years ago to to ask to turn the sentence into a question and to ask myself what that question means to me. That requires work. That requires me having to set aside me to listen to, to be open to something greater than Elizabeth's mind. And for a long time, I wasn't willing to do that because I really have good ideas. (laughs) And so what happens in the first step is I get so beat down that I'm left with no choice but to say, I got nothing. I got nothing. And how do I, how do I do that today? What does that look like for me today in AA for days strung together for a period of time. Now we'll look at Fred. Fred is on page, what page is Fred? He's on page 39. Fred's a great guy. Fred's successful. Everything looks good. He's, He's happily married. He's got a good income. There's no problem. Fred Fred doesn't have a problem to all the appearances, right? And that's, you know, that's what these principles and these steps have helped me to see that it doesn't matter what the appearance is. It doesn't matter because when I get there to the right amount of money, to the right spouse, to the right number of kids, to the right house, to the right weight. It does nothing. It does nothing for my internal condition. It works for a little bit, but that little bit gets less and less over time in my experience. 
So he's got everything going on. Um, everything looks good on the outside. Yet he's an alcoholic. So Fred wouldn't believe himself to be an alcoholic. And he thought, he says on page 40, I rather appreciated your ideas. So when he was approached after he was in the hospital by some AA members and we described to him, you know, what alcohol alcoholism looks like, it's the physical allergy, put, put it in your body, you're not going to be able to, you know, stop with just one drink. And, and even if you could just stay off of it, you if you've got that alcoholic mind, it's going to bring you back to that place where you're going to pick up that thing again. He was like, no, I'm good. And then here he is. He says, I rather appreciated the your the um, your ideas this is the middle of the page uh, about the subtle insanity, which precedes the first drink. So that subtle insanity is that thinking. He succumbed to the thinking again. He succumbed to some kind of activity in the mind, but I was convinced it could not happen to me after what I had learned. So there it is. He um, was in a situation, he physically felt fine. And then suddenly what happens? Suddenly the thought crossed my mind. Suddenly he didn't put whiskey in his mat in his milk, in his milk. I went to a bar for to have a Caesar salad. That was my story, you know, because who doesn't go to a bar for a Caesar salad? Suddenly, as I crossed the, uh, he says, as I crossed the thres threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That's all, nothing more. So he ordered the cocktail, then he ordered another cocktail. Then he was like, eh, I'm good. I'm going to go take a walk. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to put some space between me and didn't even think about it, but he had set off that obsessed obsession, that, that allergy that I need more. And then there he was. Um, and then he noticed he, he talks about the strange mental blank spot in this story, the bottom of the page. He says, not only had I been off guard, so didn't even think. He just didn't even think he had no practice, right? Cause he wasn't in AA. So he, he had no practice of, of purposefully thinking something, putting prayer into his mind. He just didn't, just didn't think just strange mental blank spot. And, um, I had been off guard. I had made no fight, whatever against the first drink. This time I had no thought of the consequences at all. And then he talks about how he wondered if he has that alcoholic mind. And then on page 42, it talks about top of the page. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help me in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them helplessly defeated. I knew it was a crushing blow. And then there's his powerless moment where it was like, he, he put it, he's like, now I, now I have my own experience of what that powerlessness looks like. 
Okay, so now, Kate, we're going to do the move to the next. We're going to look at the bedevilments. It's not technically in step one, but we just want to ask these questions and allow you to contemplate and experience them for a moment. So we're going to move to that. Page 52. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah, so we've spent time on the powerlessness aspect of step one. And now we're going to talk about, um, well, we're going to think about our unmanageability, just where we are in life today, not at the beginning of our addiction or at the end of our addiction. But um, I'm going to invite you to, to close your eyes and to locate, um, kind of locate yourself in your body. And I'm just going to ask you the questions that are on page 52 of the book uh, for where you are in your life today. Are you having trouble with personal relationships? How do your personal relationships in your life feel right now? Family, work, partnership, strangers, are they troublesome? Are you struggling to control your emotional nature with highs, with lows? Is it a roller coaster? What's your baseline emotional nature? Are you a prey to misery and depression? Does it feel like you're trying to escape or run away from being miserable and depressed? Are you having trouble making a living, making a life? Do you have a feeling of uselessness, like there's no purpose, like your experience doesn't mean something? Are you full of fear? Do you just have mental sprees about all of the things that could go wrong all the time that are complete fantasies? Are you unhappy? Are you unable to experience joy? Are you able to feel a sense of being a real help to other people? And so the big book is inviting us to ask ourselves these questions today and to consider what would sanity or wholeness look like in each of these areas? And although step one isn't an inventory step, we do have this ability to use these questions as a checklist in our daily life and just consider where we feel like we're departing or in separation from the power we found, where it's starting to feel like it felt a long time ago, off the rails. And just getting to be honest about that in long-term recovery. Elizabeth? Okay. We're conceding to our innermost self what we're powerless over. And so with that, what we'll do is we're going to move into the meditation portion of the meeting of the workshop. And each week we'll, we'll do this before we turn it over to the sharing so that you may have your own individual experience. And so today uh, we're gonna do a contemplation meditation. 
And what contemplation meditation is, is you're contemplating something specific. I'm going to give you a question to ask yourself. And the mind's going to try to answer the question because that's what the mind does. It's not bad or wrong. It just does that. When you become aware that you're having thoughts, answers to the question, simply notice and surrender those answers and ask the question again. More commentary will come. Surrender that. Ask the question again. You're not doing it wrong if commentary comes because, again, that's what the mind does. The mind thinks. And so we're simply contemplating, marinating in this question to see. Okay. So if, uh, Kate, you're going to time, right? We're going to do five minutes. And if you would get in a comfortable position, can um, just relax, take a few deep breaths. Move the body if you have any tension anywhere, shake the arms. And then you can go ahead and close your eyes and contemplate the question. Are you able to control your thinking? And again, remembering if any answers come, simply noticing what they are, putting those down, and asking the question again, are you able to control your thinking? And Kate will let us know when the five minutes is up.
That's the end of our meditation time. We will now go to a show of hands. When sharing, we ask that you please keep the focus on the step we're studying and your experience. Please be mindful of your sharing and keep it to three minutes or so. If you need to talk longer, please speak to someone after the meeting. And we'll stop recording.